tired of the Black Eyed Peas. It's rock and roll for people who don't like rock and roll. It's rap for people who don't like rap. It's pop for people who don't like pop. Today's episode is inadvertently sponsored by Jepson's Malort Liqueur from Dark Matter Coffee in Chicago. Your now, favorite uh, earwax liqueur. Now, when I say uh, sponsored, they didn't actually pay us to drink this stuff, which Cal and I are each holding a can of it. They don't necessarily know that we're talking about their product <laughs> on our podcast, Uh or even who we are, or how their product ended up in Madison in the first place. But, uh, Cal, do you want to try this um, Malort liqueur for me, or with me? I absolutely do. <laughs> now, to be clear, what, he's, what he has here, it's a, a cold brew coffee yeah, uh, conditioned with Malort. Yeah. And, and if you know Malort, if you're familiar, uh, that's going to sound like a crazy combo to you. Yeah, and if you don't, uh, just... You know, consider yourself lucky. All right. I got to smell it first. I got to get in the... Oh, that's... That just smells like coffee. There's no... Yeah, it's got, it's got that. It's definitely cold brew. All right, down the hatch. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's fucking good, dude. Yeah, can you even <laughs> tell it's in there? No, it's like... It's got you, you, like a little bit in the aftertaste. Yeah, like that's you can, it. You, you get like some of those floral notes that Lord has without like that bitter earwaxy yeah, aftertaste. Yeah, they dropped the wormwood for this. So, or the coffee just covers it up well enough. <laughs> All right, so good on you, uh, Dark Matter Coffee. Uh, please send us some money. Right. <laughs> Preferably Bitcoin, because I need to buy some drugs. All right, welcome to Polishing Turds with Nick and Cal. My name is Nick. My name is Cal. And this is the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of bad music. We're back, baby! Oh my god, finally. Just, it's been forever, hasn't it? Was it was a long break. I know, and uh, and we appreciate your patience. Uh, some interesting stuff has happened to us. We will get into all of that in the fullness of time. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. I wanted to give a shout-out to artist Caleb Duggan, who you may have noticed that we uh, changed up our uh, podcast artwork recently. And uh, that is all thanks to Caleb. He is on Instagram at toasty.tuna. And I think I think is the new logo is pretty fucking dope. Oh, yeah. I like it a lot. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Definitely check out his Instagram page. And then uh, speaking of Instagram, um, you may have noticed that for almost four full weeks, we were off that platform as well as Facebook there is a story behind that, and uh, we did not want that to happen, but we are back now. Um, so if you're not following us on Instagram and Facebook, please get on the, the interwebs, uh, unplug your phone, plug the <laughs> phone thingy into the computer thingy and hook up to AOL and find Facebook and type polishing turds <laughs> into it. 
But no, uh, so the, like, seriously, there is a, a story as to why we got uh, kicked off of these platforms for a while. But it's like a five to ten minute story, and I didn't want to take up too much of your time at the beginning of this episode. I know that some of you care, some of you were a little bit freaked out, but I want uh, to kind of save that for the end, because I know that the rest of you just want to make fun of some bad music. You don't care about us or our travails or our online exploits. Especially with the subject of the next series. That's right, Cal, because today we are talking about a very very fascinating band, a very popular band, an oft-requested band. Before I introduce the subject of today's episode, Cal, I want to kind of ask you a sort of philosophical question. And the question is, what does it mean to sell out? I think it is the tipping point when you can clearly identify that someone has given up some of their uh, artistic integrity for money. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare you can have both. Some artists have pulled it off, but I think a lot of times you watch you watch uh, an artist come out and they're making thoughtful, intelligent stuff, pushing some musical boundaries, and then you get the sellout album, <laughs> or 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 it could be movies or something. It could be any medium really, mm. but you get the one that is dumbed down and clearly designed to make as much money as possible. Yes, and. And there's, we all know, based off of the stories that we've covered, how difficult it is to succeed in music or in the entertainment industry writ large. Yeah, you and, almost have to pick. It's, do I want to be an artist or do I want to eat? <laughs> yeah, so I think that where it gets interesting is, I think most people will concede that there's some level of quote-unquote selling out that's acceptable. Like, to, you have to dumb things down or, or compromise your vision a little bit just to grease the wheels. But at what point is it too much? Yes. At, 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 what, at what point are you like just losing too much of your integrity? And I think that's a, a very nebulous line. It is. Well, that line's different for everybody. Um, I think we've said it multiple times in this show. It, de it depends what you value in your music. And yeah. if you're someone who strongly values experimentation and things like that, your sellout line is going to be a lot, your threshold is going to be a lot lower than someone who loves just jamming to things in their car. <laughs> yeah. You, that person might not have a sellout line at all. Yeah. I honestly think probably most people don't. Like, I think in 2022, <laughs> most people don't. The only things that like may turn off people are like, if you were, if you were like making ads for like, like, Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin, like with your music, that might have offend some half of the country. Some people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some you'd sell be your bestseller. I'm actually thinking of that time that Seal performed a concert for that, uh, like Russian warlord, right? You know, or like something like that. Like for a guy that doesn't need the money, I think that's uh, I think that's clearly selling out. But yeah. Uh, I want you guys at home to like really think about that question because I feel like a lot of you will have different definitions and I, I think that's cool. But whatever your personal idea of selling out is, I want you to think about that as we talk about the band that we're going to talk about over this next series of episodes. And that band, of course, is the Black Eyed Peas. I, I I will admit I've been dreading this one. 
<laughs> I mean, it, I've said that about a couple of these. This one is right up there with Nickelback for me, where I was in doing the homework. It took a big battle of will <laughs> to actually like, okay, you have to throw this album now on now to know what you're talking about. You have to listen to this shit. Yeah. That was hard. I did not want to do it. <laughs> I will. I will say uh, there's some of their music I genuinely like. There's some of their music I, I genuinely don't. But listening to their discography, it didn't feel like as much of a grind as Nickelback because at least they change throughout yeah, the course of that's their career. True. They change very wildly, it turns out, uh, which is why we need to cover this in three episodes. But at least, like, you know, there's an arc going on here, right. a very interesting one. Yeah, and that's where if you were just asking, you know, what do you think of Black Eyed Peas? It's, it is more complicated than just, I hate them. Yeah. It's, it's I hate what they became for a while. They just, they feel like such an omnipresent part of our youth. Like just beginning in like the early 2000s, right up to the time where we were in college. Yep. It just felt like they were always on the goddamn radio, always in commercials. Oh, or any party, or any, any, party, party, any yeah. wedding, any anything. You're going to hear some fucking Black Eyed Peas song at some point. It's like they just like they just fucking hung around there like a specter haunting you know music listeners everywhere. Right, and the worst part is it's it's adult hokey pokey. It's adult party <laughs> music. It's it's just like for you to be really drunk at a wedding and dance to. Yeah, and that has its place, but uh, for me, it was so grating for so many years. I don't think there's any other band that has like tried as hard or found as many different ways to do just like like very vapid feel good music mm-hmm. as the black eyed peas like they've really they have beaten that horse into the ground here's the thing so when i started researching black eyed peas i came across a lot of articles and youtube videos that were trying to make sense of the band's career and most of them kind of seem to center around this one basic narrative this narrative that goes something like this Part one, Black Eyed Peas started out as a serious underground rap group that was uh, very uplifting and socially conscious, and their music was staying true to the values of hip-hop. But then in 2003, they added Fergie to the mix, and suddenly they're this pop band that you know puts out all of these kind of dumbed-down hits that are on the radio all the time, as we just said. Very dumbed-down. <laughs> just dumb in general. And then so like, and then that continues, you know, throughout the 2000s, they just keep getting impossibly bigger and bigger, selling out more stadiums, putting out more commercials, doing the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, and at the peak of this, they sold, they, they might be the most successful band we've ever covered because they've sold 80 million records. That's 30 million more than Nickelback. It's insane. So they just became this gigantic commercial juggernaut, really. And when you first start to dive into their discography and their history, this narrative kind of feels true enough. It is striking how quickly this band morphs from making this kind of underground hipster rap into stuff that, you know, clearly is designed to titillate that MTV crowd or people at weddings, as as Cal just said. And all of that begs an immediate and vexing question. Why did this happen? How did this? Y'all, this is the way it's going down. We come in compound, releasing double rounds at hound like heat sensors. Your defense techniques are no match. When I begin to draw back, 
cover up your cardiac cause I'll arrest ya Wanna penetrate, feel the pressure The critical perfectionist, rhythmic expressionist Becoming deadly at a venom And you'll be scared to pick the mic up again Turn into this My Now the answer, it turns out, is quite complicated. But nonetheless, it is the answer we shall seek as we begin our extended study of the Black Eyed Peas. Over the course of the next three episodes, we'll trace this band's bizarre musical evolution and examine the economic and cultural incentives that made it possible. And whether you love these guys or hate them, I got a feeling you're going to like this story. <laughs> Get ready. We're, we're, I'm that, you think that's bad, Cal? I'm going to drop some dad jokes like nobody's business. I've grown to expect nothing less. Are you ready, Cal? I am uh, ready, I guess. Let's polish this turd. I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be I, I will publicly put this on record. That is the song I hate the most. We might find a B track as I listen to these that I hate more, but yeah, that was the one that grated on me the most because I remember it, as we already said, every fucking party or event I went to, it would yeah. come on at some point. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge dancer. I got to be really, really drunk to get into <laughs> dancing. Um, and I just feel like it's just a lazy song. Tonight's oh, yeah. going to be a good, good night. That is designed to apply to every night anyone's ever had where they go out with friends. Like, and that's the point, you know? It's kind of ingenious because, like, really, any level of English comprehension, you know, that you have, you're going to get the same message out of that song. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, and I have a, I have a theory, It's universal. Too. You know, they, they at one point say Mazel Tov and Laheim. <laughs> and on one hand, okay, yeah, it's, you got to be inclusive. But on the other hand, I I feel like the cynic in me is like they only put that in there to get bar mitzvahs on the list. This could get used at as well. It's it's like when when I'm making uh, ads for this show on like Facebook or Instagram, you could you could check like certain countries you want to advertise in, and then it like uh, it shows you like now your estimated audience size yeah. is like you know like uh, eighty million, a hundred million. Right. Three, that's why know? I say that like that's the world I know we live in, and I know I I know enough about Will I am now to know that he's probably looking at stats like that. He's like we we got to branch out to their groups here. What what can we do and just. Give him a throwaway line and play. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that song. I never really was. But at the same time, it is incredibly catchy. And I could see 
I could see inside the mind of somebody who really vibes with yes. that. Oh, yeah. Easily. I, I get why people like that song. Throughout this series, there's going to be a lot of comparisons to Nickelback and Chad Kruger. Mm-hmm. And I think both him and Will I Am have this uncanny ability to just synthesize what works in the, the most basic elements of yeah. pop music I, and just like churn out stuff that everybody knows and everybody can remember. I think they're cut from the same cloth. And I think the only difference why why Nickelback's picked on so much more is it's a more out of style style. Yeah. They're doing this with hip hop, which is what dominates the charts right now. And that's the difference. All right. So that's our conclusion. Thank you for listening to yeah. our Black Eyed Peas series. <laughs> there you go. There's nothing more you need to know. No, no, no. Actually, there's a whole fucking lot to, to get into. But I think the best place to start is by talking about the individual members of Black Eyed Peas. So this band started out in 1995, and they began as a trio, that trio consisting of Will I Am, Apple App, and Taboo. <laughs> I, I understand Will I Am. Yeah. Um, I think Taboo wa- uh, was a good name uh, before certain types of um, videos on Pornhub became super popular. <laughs> but Apple App, that one I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> that was like just that's such a weird name and it's like and the spelling it's apl dot de dot ap and i so I, I was like was looking at his real name we can get we can cover it when we talked about his name yeah so the first th- three letters are his initials yeah that's apple mm-hmm. the rest i could not figure out i was staring at his name for a long time I don't know. To me, it just looks like a, a cat walked across my laptop screen <laughs> you know while I was typing but yeah, um, and as most of you probably know, Will I Am is the undisputed leader of this outfit. He's an incredibly smart, hardworking, and charismatic figure. And like most of the artists we cover, he is a relentless hustler. According to his bandmate Taboo, Will is, quote, a perfectionist, all fire and hunger, from the way he dressed, the way he focused, the way he spoke. And we will get to examples of this uh, throughout this series, but I really, he really just strikes me as one of those like go get him, mm-hmm. like living embodiment of a Tony Robbins speech kind of guys. Right. Yeah, if just... he hadn't gotten into hip hop, he could be like a, a high powered banker or something. <laughs> yeah. Any cult any, leader. Any... <laughs> and later in his career, he did get into the entrepreneurial world. He did start to I'm not surprised hobnob with like all. big tech moggles because yep. like that's the that's the world that like he just seemed destined for. Yeah, that's a personality type. Born Will Adams Jr. on March 15th, 1975, Will was raised by a single mother in the poor housing projects of East L.A., and the, it's interesting because East LA, like this is a mostly Latino area, but Will is black and so is his mother. And he was so one of the few black kids in this neighborhood, which I imagine must have made him feel like uh, kind of an outsider. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, predictably, he fell in love with uh, music and especially hip hop when he was very young. He apparently started rapping and making his own tapes at the age of nine. I would love to hear what a nine-year-old's rap sounds like. <laughs> Give me them goldfish crackers. Give me them goldfish crackers. <laughs> Why'd you turn off T-Mutant Turtles? I can't think of a word that rhymes with her. Turtles. Put me through a hurdle. 
take off your girdle. Give you purple nurple. <laughs> uh, not quite. <laughs> and then uh, later in his uh, childhood, he his his mom like uh, is also very hardworking and kind of instills some of these like uh, like very serious values in him too, right? So mm-hmm. he gets uh, accepted into this charter school, which is in a, a very rich white part of uh, West LA near Santa Monica. And so he starts getting bused to this uh, charter school. So so suddenly he goes from living in this hood to to getting bused to this school with all these rich white kids whose parents are like producers sure. and actors and or like at least like lawyers or high powered professionals. And I gotta feel like this is a key moment in his life. When you start to learn more about who he is and how seriously he values success, especially economic success mm-hmm. and being on top all the time, I feel like this is kind of where some of that might have germinated. He sees all these people living a life that's so different than what he's used to. And part of him just thinks to himself, I want that. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. There's that had to have had a profound effect. I I will tip my hat to him that instead of just getting like bitter and pissed off about it too. Yeah. He takes his destiny into his own hands. Like he just becomes this crazy driven guy. Yeah. I mean, the the easy thing to do is become resigned to your position in life and take that, you know, part-time job at the auto store and, you know, fall into like drugs and everything else that uh, that world pushes you towards. But he consciously decided not to do this. He had a, he had an ambition from an early age and he stuck to it uh, relentlessly. I I don't care if my starting line was further back. I'm going to outrace all you motherfuckers. Yeah. And so in his teens, he starts getting a little bit more serious about hip hop. He starts, uh, competing in MC battles, uh, making more of his own demos, you know, forming dance crews and stuff like that. And then, uh, interestingly, he also starts to get into LA's underground rave scene. So this is like before like rave music was ever popular or really known to the outside world. This is back in the days where if you wanted to go to a rave, you had to like know a guy and that guy directed you to like a a hand drawn map that led to some like warehouse Mm -hmm. that like they would like party all night illegally in this spot. It's it's not like fucking buying tickets to electric forest for $500. This is like like real hardcore, cool L.A. rave scene. He still didn't do drugs at this time. Which, I, don't, I don't know how I don't know, I know. How. as someone who cannot be sober on drunk people I don't yeah. understand this and uh, I fucking more love, power to you I love like house music when I'm on those kinds of drugs mm. like it's I totally get the appeal but not if I'm just like walking off the street right and you're just watching the shit go down too like you're not in tune with it yeah but Will was into it even though he was sober most of the time and I think um, the fact that he had this early taste of rave culture in his teens, will play a role later in our story. All right, now the second member of our trio is Alan Pineda Lindo, a.k.a. Apple the App. He was born and raised in the Philippines, growing up in subsistence poverty, as immortalized in the lyrics to his 2003 song, The Apple Song. He sings, quote, How would you feel if you had to catch your meal, build a hut to live and to eat and chill in, having to pump the water out of the ground, the way we put it down, utilizing what is around. Like, so like all three of these guys like grew up in poverty, but 
Apple grew up in like actual yeah. fucking poverty. Yeah. Like the way that most of the world has lived like in the total history of man type of poverty. It's and it's really fucking hardcore. And so Alan's father was an African-American soldier who left the family shortly after he was born. A lot like Rob Pilatus from mm-hmm. Millie Vanilli, actually. And he was born with a rare eye disorder called uh, nystigmus or, or astigmatism, which is basically uh, causes an involuntary movement of the eyes and uh, blurs your vision. And so he actually throughout most of uh, the time that he's famous, he is like legally blind, basically. And he, Man, to- that's a rough one. If you have like an eye issue like that, that cascades through everything in your life. Like he's probably delayed learning to read and stuff like that. Just because yeah. he can't fucking see. Yeah, just like every individual thing becomes harder. And, nope. uh, you know, it's like especially back in the 80s and 90s, they did not have the technology to treat astigmatism the way they do today. And so but when he was a preteen, he was featured in a commercial for a humanitarian organization called the Pearl S. Buck Foundation. It was basically one of those for just a dollar a day, you can sponsor this child in this broken third world country. Like he was in one of those <laughs> ads he used to see on late night TV. Wow. So this ad apparently reached an LA lawyer named Joe Ben Hudgens. And this guy, Joe Ben Hudgens, sponsored Alan starting when he was 11, I think. And they formed a kind of overseas connection. And Mr. Hudgens apparently, or or sorry, well, he did end up paying for Alan to come over to the U.S. so that he could have surgery to fix his astigmatism. And it ended up turning out that uh, he was, Alan was too old for the surgery to be effective, Uh, but he just ended up staying in the U.S. anyway. So, I mean, that's, that's still a huge step up from a hut. Yeah. You, you go from living in a grass hut where you have to pump dirty water out of the ground, like, you know, spend all your days growing potatoes and uh, you know chasing wild pigs around, and he had he was he had to be bused like an hour into school and back, like you know to living in fucking L.A. in this rich ass lawyer's house. That's like, insane. Like, even though it sounds like and basically is a step up, it must have been a massive mind fuck for him. Oh, absolutely. I think about that all the time. I'll just you know be walking in some building and you know. <laughs> Or uh, one big one for me is driving into Milwaukee, all the network yeah. of interstates. <laughs> I just think if you showed someone from like, you know, the, the Brazilian jungle, you brought them up here. Yeah. This would be just completely, uh, they'd be unable to even take it in. No, it it's just, it's it just, it's just absolutely like. And forget about showing experience. them their, your smartphone and yeah. then explaining that it, you know, sends a signal to space and back. And that's why I can talk to people in Ireland like this. It's just too much. Yeah. And Mr. Hudgens, the guy who adopts Apple, he happens to be close friends with Will Am's uncle. And uh, so Will's mama basically forced Will to become <laughs> Alan's friend. You're going to play with that boy. <laughs> she, she literally did yeah. that. She like took him out of school one day and was like, uh, this is Alan. He's from the Philippines. He doesn't speak any English. You're going to show him around. Yeah, You're going to be his friend. friend. Hey, so, good for her. Every, yeah. every kid needs a friend. Yeah. That's, and that's what happened. And that's how Will uh, became friends with Alan. And they, they ended up bonding over uh, music, you know, predictably. And, 
I just find it interesting because Alan came here when he was 14. He knows like almost no English. And yet just a few years later, we will, we will hear this guy rapping in just a few years time from that. And he is a really talented rapper. I, I think possibly the best individual lyricist in the black eyed peas. And just like, what do you think that says about this guy? Yeah. Right. I, yeah. And no, I really like him. You know, as the uh, the and Cal and Nick and Cal, <laughs> oh, I like oh, Apple. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a you're not a, a tyrannical dictator. I I'm not as I'm not as bad as Will. I am. Yeah, Will I am I think is intense, and he's very he's very big on being the front man. Yeah, and this is way more. Yeah, we we share. <laughs> so you 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 identify with apple and taboo in this story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mostly wanted to make the and cal joke <laughs> i like that all right so um so speaking of which like let's get to our third musketeer a guy named jaime luis gomez aka taboo and i just gotta share this like uh we talk about his name um it's kind of unclear why he chose the name taboo I, I read this guy's autobiography. He's the only one that's in this band that's written a book and it's pretty, it's a pretty good read, but he was like a, a big stoner. Right. And he said that he just liked the way the word looks like, just like think about the way the word looks on paper. He likes the way that like the, the T and the B rise wow. and the, and the A and the O. I, o. Have like, you ever just like looked at words, man? <laughs> like the shape of them? Like, that's cool. Like, that's pretty much it. And that like, is uh, so much less cool. <laughs> like, that's why it's taboo. <laughs> So yeah, Jaime Gomez. Uh, Jaime is of Mexican and Native American ancestry, and he grew up in the Dogtown neighborhood of East LA, which is a pretty fucking rough part of uh, of Los Angeles. And so, like Will and Alan, Jaime grew up without a father, and his childhood was, as he puts it, shy and lonely. And it was only when he discovered hip-hop and b-boy culture that Jaime's inner creativity started to come alive. And so he uh, he started out mainly as a dancer. He claimed that he got into breakdancing as part, uh, when he saw the 1984 movie Breakin'. And just a little quick side note. We've been doing this podcast for like a year and a half now. And I have read so many stories about artists who got into hip hop specifically because of that movie Breakin. I've never even heard of it. I feel like I need to check this out. So uh, there was Breakin, which is the this uh, movie about breakdancing, and Breakin Two Electric Boogaloo. I have heard of that. That's where we get the phrase "Electric Boogaloo" is from that series. Oh, so I've been stealing that for years, and I didn't know. Everybody, I know. everybody has. Everybody knows that, but I don't think a lot of people our age know that it came from this franchise. So yeah, so artists that we have covered, like Fred Durst, Vanilla Ice, Robin Fab from Millie Vanilli, all of them, I've read interviews where they specifically referenced that movie wow. as why they got into hip hop. So. It's got to be one of the most culturally significant movies that nobody talks about. But anyway, back to Taboo. So like Will, he gets into this movie when he's about nine years old. And from then on, he just becomes obsessed with breaking. 
like he's he just starts practicing his moves yep. in front of a mirror like day in and day out. I remember that raw nine year old passion. <laughs> Where you would just you get randomly obsessed with something and yeah. you don't let it go. Usually with us, it was like video games. Yeah, a specific know. video game, or or you know when I was starting to get into music, a specific artist. Mm-hmm. I remember my listening pattern as a kid was like, like when I discovered Corn. Yeah, it was like a year of just like which Corn album do I want to listen to? It wasn't even there wasn't other music that existed to me. Oh, for sure. I I mean I miss that. I miss being able to just obsessively listen to an artist like that. And so he's breaking for like up to nine hours, or sorry, five hours a day. Jeez. Nine hours would be excessive, but he probably would if he See, could. See, that too, when you're, when you're that little, you don't get blisters and shit from that yet. You don't get all sore. And... <laughs> yeah, you're not waking up with a fucked up Yeah, you're just like, no, yeah, let's go do more dancing. I'm hyper. Oh, uh, yeah. So you've probably already noticed that there's something a little interesting about this. Um, he grew up in, as a, in a Mexican neighborhood, but he's embracing this African-American uh, style of dance and music and culture, which back then was super rare and not something that was common, something taboo, as it were. <laughs> I actually think that did play into like part of why he called himself that. But but that was the the taboo that he was breaking at that point. He his uh, Mexican homies were like calling him a race traitor. They were not into it. They uh, he got bullied a lot for that specific passion of his yeah. but he kept doing it and keep in mind like the time period yeah that may, yeah. may not make like, sense late, late to, 80s, from a 2022 lens yeah. but back then yeah it makes sense oh yeah like in in that time period everything was a lot more segregated yep. than it, it or at least it feels like today now as i said um, a lot of my source material for this series came from taboo's autobiography and in that book he reveals that he was basically the hardest partying member of black eyed peas. Like he started out with weed. He was like one of those 24 seven blazers that sure. like, yep. you know, like smokes a blunt first thing in the morning and it just like keeps going throughout the day. And then later on he gets into drinking, becomes that guy that like has to be carried out of the bar every time he goes out drinking. And then it becomes like ecstasy and cocaine. And like, he just like, he lives like the rock and roll life sure. to, to the maximum. And a lot of that, book is just him recounting his various escapades under the influence of different substances and it is entertaining but as we will probably get into later in the series it it also gets kind of fucking dark too as is tradition with that lifestyle oh yeah it it usually does not end well but let's consider like these three guys and how similar they are in many ways All of them grew up fatherless. All of them grew up in relative poverty or or at least situations where you would not expect them to become millionaires by the time they're in their 20s. And all of them felt this kind of alienation. They were all outsiders in their own weird way. And they all used music, specifically hip hop music, as an escape. So you can you can see why they like guys like that would come together and form a a band that you know would would last yeah like as long as they have. So now that we've established our cast of characters, how did the group itself come together? Well, as we mentioned earlier, by his mid-teens, Will was already heavily involved in hip hop, frequently competing in underground rap battles under the name Will One X. Will One X. <laughs> <laughs> like. 
I mean, you said it, Cal. I think Will I Am is a pretty clever name. Like, if your name is William, like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised he was the first to think of that. Um, well, he he stole the periods though from Apple D App. He stole that's the, true. Yeah, like Apple he's D App. Like, he's like, what if we took your name but made it make sense to somebody? <laughs> you do Will I Am. Apple D App apparently was always Apple D App spelled that way, and I don't know, God bless him. It, it like it means something to him. So uh, Will and Apple, like they've been together since their teens and they uh, start competing in a lot of these underground rap battles and they start to form a group called at ban clan. <laughs> the the uh, I've heard worse. Yes. I and mean, this isn't like naked child or anything. You know? It's not naked toddler. <laughs> it's not it's not a slip dick slit or yeah. whatever Limp Biscuit wanted to be. The at ban in that name stands for a tribe beyond a nation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, their music at this time, this is like the, the late eighties, early nineties. And their music was very much inspired by um, what's been called conscious rap um, artists, like a tribe called quest far side. And especially this band you're about to hear De La Soul. It's always interesting, man, to to see where these guys start and how mm. good the intentions were. Yeah, like that that's some sophisticated rap. Oh yeah, it's great, great stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, classic album. Um, if you guys are interested, uh, that album is called Three Feet High and Rising. Fortunately, you can't find it on Spotify. They they chose for whatever reason not to put it on streaming platforms. But like, if you see it at a record store, fucking buy it. Uh, but the reason I kind of bring this up is, you know, this is the early '90s, and there's kind of this split in the hip hop community between conscious rap, which is represented by that sort of sophisticated, very poetic stuff you just heard, and gangster rap, which mm-hmm. we all know and love, like Snoop, Dre, like, you know, bitches in 40s, yep. all that shit. And Will and Apple and the the Atban clan, they were clearly positioning themselves on the conscious rap yeah. camp at this time. And that was their real mission for 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 most of the 90s yeah and then the other reason i brought up de la soul specifically is that they're gonna play a kind of interesting and symbolic role in the history of black eyed peas both in a positive and i think arguably in a negative sense and what i mean by that will become clear as this series progresses so just uh, keep that in the back of your minds 
Now, before he even finished high school, Will was already a legend in the LA underground freestyling scene. Actually, according to Taboo's book, he claims that Will once competed at this uh, important hip-hop club, and he would go there every week, and he says he didn't lose a single battle for 18 months. I don't... I, that's that's one of those stats that's tough to believe. Yeah. It could be exaggerated. It could be one of those things, but... Um, Maybe he lost on a night Taboo wasn't there, and he just doesn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he gave his best he's for, like, for, for he's his like, boy Will, Tab. Will, did you win a night? Did you win? <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, 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 totally. It's like, sorry you missed it, but I fucking lit that shit on fire. <laughs> but supposedly, though, uh, have you ever heard of the, the rapper Twista? Oh, yeah. Yeah, supposedly he beat Twista at some point. Uh, according to according to that and some of the other narratives all right. I've read. The only way I see it possible is if it's like, that's that's like Twista's rookie season in the NFL. He's <laughs> just not quite there yet. Yeah, I suppose, maybe. It's a bit early in his career, too. But yeah, like, so he's like, he's doing this shit. Like he is really grinding. That's definitely undisputed. And one night, Will was freestyling at a prominent club where a couple of representatives from Easy es Ruthless Records were in attendance. And apparently Will's performance was so impressive that he was offered a $10,000 record deal basically on the spot. This is where we start to sound like broken records. Because this is, uh, you know, a lot of the artists we've covered, this is the story, right? They're, they're just in the, they, they grind for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then one night they just impress the right guy. And he said, hey, here's money. Let's yeah. go. Like it, It's so easy to see, to read that story and to think like, oh, this guy got lucky, right place, right time. But, uh, but, well, but he's but doing it, was, it night after night. Yeah. It's a yeah. numbers game. Yeah. Well, I know what you mean. Yeah. It is like it, it, the preparation and the hard work is what made the, the luck possible. And let's uh, note that there's a bit of an irony here in that easy E like he is like, (laughs) he's like a fucking king of gangster rap. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've already mentioned at band clan, they are a conscious rap group. Like these guys should go together like water and oil, Mm -hmm. you know, but I seriously doubt that these, you know, 17, 18 year old kids were complaining about getting a record deal like that. And I don't, I don't think Easy E is either. I mean, it's if if you have a new label, it's just sign the best rappers you can find. Yeah, like he just wants to make money. <laughs> yeah, do you really care if if they fit? Yeah, it's like um um it's brand diversification. Yeah, homes. what was the record label that signed Nickelback that we talked about? It's like when Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when like, Roadrunner signs Nickelback. It's like you got to try something new every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> so this leads to the very first appearance of Will and Apple. On record, and it came from a guest verse on the Easy E track, Merry Motherfucking Xmas. Yeah. A Christmas song that is so insane that I really, truly wish we could play the whole thing for you guys. But uh, we're going to have to settle for just the Will and Apple parts. So uh, here you go. Merry Motherfucking Xmas. Chillin' for the mail and corporate and some 
I I don't think that man Easy E respects the sanctity of Christmas very much. <laughs> you know what, Cal? As fun as that track was, I'm calling bullshit. I know that I'm not the most gangsta person that you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I respect that Easy E he's got to stay on brand and and he's doing that you know but come the fuck on like nobody I don't care how many people you've killed nobody is too hard for Christmas cheer <laughs> like come on even gangsters must celebrate Christmas Cal come on man like, <laughs> that was a yeah I don't there's. It's a shame we can't play the whole thing because all all the jokes I had planned for this reaction <laughs> come from the first parts. So I I, all I'll say is, uh, Will you- I Am and Apple, they sounded pretty good. They did, yeah. Yeah, they had some of the best verses on that thing. And it is like weird because as we go forward with uh, the next few Black Eyed Peas songs you're going to hear, it's going to sound very odd that this uh, these verses, they're talking about smoking up Indo and stuff like that. That is not on brand for these guys, as you probably yeah. already know. Yeah. But like at this point, like it's just a foot in the door. They're doing a job. Right, you right. Know? Yes, I'll say whatever to fit in on this track. Yeah. Uh, I'm working with Easy e it's like, yeah, think about that. It's like every auteur filmmaker has to start out making a, a car commercial or, yep. or something like that, you know? But uh, they, you know, they stuck with it. Uh, and by 1994, the Atban clan had recorded their first full length album, Grassroots. And although this album was never officially released, the group did manage to put out a single. It is called Puddles of H2O. And I think you'll notice it has a little bit of a different vibe than Merry Motherfucking Christmas. (laughs) Let's check it out. gotta keep hammering this home that this that this is the group that would eventually write my humps <laughs> i like yeah. this is the main narrative we're telling yep but i just it's mind-blowing to me yeah like people do those how it started how it how the, where it's going, means. going. <laughs> yeah. yeah this is this is just one of and that's that's why we had to do this series is because you have to see all of the steps that it took to get from, yeah. from A to Z. And it, it's a little, like you said already, it's it's more of an arc than like Nickelback, where black we're going to do plenty of shit on the Black Eyed Peas, <laughs> but this the whole beginning of their career is, there's nothing to shit on. It's it's not bad. No, it's it's pretty dope. Like, especially if, uh, 
if you're into that kind of a jazzy vibe that they have, if you want to hear like lyrical acrobatics, if you want to feel smart, you know, yeah. listening to this kind of music, like these, these are your guys. It just kind of has a, almost a hipster feel to mm-hmm. it. It's, it really, uh, it does not seem like it is designed for you know, massive mainstream success you know, to, to play yeah. in the middle of a fucking mall or some shit right. like that. Another thing I want to mention, um, at this point, Taboo isn't actually in the picture yet. Like, we'll we'll meet him a little bit later in this story. So there's a third rapper in At Band Clan. is a guy named Mookie. And I'm not going to talk too much about so it. I wonder where he is today. I think Taboo kind of mentioned it in his book. He just kind of, like, kind of fell off from music for a little bit. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always, like, jump to, like, gas station clerk. But let's let's, in Mookie's case, pretend he is a... Lawyer, high-powered yes. lawyer. He, Good job, Mookie. He is he is a high-powered lawyer for a, a very respectable financial institution yep. like Mookie. And that, that's fact. You heard it here. Yep. All right, let me move on. That's canon. Now, unfortunately for Atban Clan, that single you just heard didn't go very far, and with the untimely death of Easy E in 1995, the group lost their biggest champion. So Atban Clan was dropped from their label. The album was never released uh, the group basically dissolved and will and apple were basically left to start from scratch and this is where a normal person would call it quits yeah and like and then you spend the next uh, 20 years of your life you know at like uh, backyard barbecues uh telling your kids or anyone who listen like well i was in a band once yeah like, we put out a single i know i yeah i I guess I will go back to Mookie quick. I think I'd be Mookie. I'd just be done with music. I'd be like, well, I I rapped uh, on an album with Easy E once. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm good. Because like at this point, like you got to think that their parents are like pressuring them to <laughs> go to college. Right. Yeah. You know, go make some money, please. I actually, uh, that's something I forgot to mention when it comes to Apple the app is. So his uh, sponsor, Joe, Joe Ben Hudgens, who ends up adopting him and brings him to America, when Apple is 18. You know, he wants this kid to go to college, this kid that he's paid all this money right. to bring over to the U.S. He's like, you're going to college. You're following in my footsteps. You know, probably wants to bring him into his law firm eventually. But Apple, he's not into it. He's into music. Yep. He wants to make a go at that. The dad, I think, kind of understandably, like, wants to push him towards a legitimate career oh, path. Oh, dude, if one of my kids told me tomorrow they want to get into music, I'd laugh him out of the room. Yeah. it's a That's a tough career path. But where it gets hardcore is, you know, they disagreed with this so much that Apple basically left the house and just started living on his own. <laughs> fuck at you, age dad. 18. Yep. Yeah. Fuck you, kind of not real dad. <laughs> you know, like he's been in the country for four years and he's going to go live on his own in L.A. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's super, super cool, I think. But OK, yeah. So they are at a low point in their personal stories, but you know, for a guy like Will, I am uh, Mr. Positivity. Even the most heartbreaking ending is just a new beginning. And almost immediately, Will and Apple reformed at Band Clan with a much less obnoxious name, the Black Eyed Peas. And to complete the package, they invited a new face into the mix. And this is the point where we finally meet Taboo. Yes, I couldn't handle it without him. No, it's not the same. <laughs> so up until this point, uh, Taboo was basically like mostly into dance, right? He, he was with all these like uh, 
breakdancing crews and he kind of loosely dabbled in rap but he didn't if you had met him at this point you he wouldn't have called himself an MC mm-hmm. and uh, but he was friends with Will and Apple and he hung out with them so much that Basically, they just kind of they had this opening when Mookie left, and they just decided to bring him on board. <laughs> That's how know. I got this podcasting gig. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm just kidding> again, <laughs> I don't know why I'm degrading myself tonight, no, but that's just—it's too funny. It dude, works. People don't know, like you make this shit happen. I don't know how any of the technical shit works on this show, Cal. You do all of the fucking sonic engineering. I just talk and make oh, this, myself sound a- smart. There's actually a third uh, member that's in this room all the time. We've never mentioned him. <laughs> that's our that's His our producer Jim. Kenny. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Jim Kenny. <laughs> How you doing, Jim Kenny? Oh. He's 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 not very uh, outspoken. That's why no we can't quiet guy. Show, he didn't so. even want his name in the in the title. No, he's just he's just shrinking into the corner right now, wrapping himself in a wet towel. And so, uh, but yeah, taboo. Um, so in the beginning, like by this point, like I think we've already shown Will and Apple are pretty competent MCs. Taboo wasn't, or at least he felt like he wasn't. So to kind of boost his confidence a little bit, Will taught Taboo a weird trick to improve his rapping ability. And what I'm about to read comes straight from Taboo's book. He says, he took a pencil from his pocket. This stick of lead, he said, would train me to be a better rapper. He placed it horizontally in his mouth, making the kind of sound effect that was a hybrid between a lawnmower and a machine gun. He stopped, grabbed the pencil from his mouth, and said, and that's what you need to do every single day. I I, I am having trouble wrapping my head around this, and I think, Nick, I might have pencils in this drawer. I think I, we should try this shit. Oh, dude, I I brought a pencil. Yeah. Just, I was gonna surprise you by All like right. doing it. You want? Let's fucking try dude, this right one. now. I got, right. I got. Wait, we both each got a pencil. All right, Cal, you, you go first. You try. Right. What 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 this is? <laughs> All right, okay, I, I can get it. Oh, so I think I think what you're actually supposed to do is uh like fuck with your tongue. So you put it um. <laughs> I think you actually like it's about rolling your tongue and getting your tongue loose. So <laughs> So like like roll the pencil oh. with your tongue behind your teeth like uh it could make you better at a couple of things. <laughs> All right, that's hard. <laughs> I, I don't know how much of that got caught on mic, but Okay, you know what, Cal? I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this between the recording of this episode and our next episode. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna fucking okay. do, do it this every, every day. day. I'm gonna do it every day when I drive to work, um, and I'm gonna see if this makes me a better podcaster. If maybe it makes me less like like stumbling over my Here's- words and mispronouncing shit and fucking up sentences like i always well, we do should, you should we should make you do it again too so the one the one you guys heard just now if you heard nothing on the mic that's the baseline yeah nick's gonna come back next time and if it sounds like a lawnmower and a machine gun <laughs> yeah he's then, he's then we practiced. figured it out and keep in mind i have no idea if we're if we're doing it correctly i'm I just actually, going, going based off of what a, a written account i was just thinking shit. like it's kind of a shame this is a podcast because I don't know. You guys have no idea how funny that probably looked to see two grown men in a room doing what we were just doing. Oh God! We'll 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 take a. This may be the first Instagram reel we ever do. Is is doing this. 
<laughs> with our fucking tongues stuck out. <laughs> and apparently, though, this trick fucking worked. Like, Taboo claims that, like, he did it for, like, a couple of weeks and he actually did become a better rapper. Well, you're strengthening you in con- your tongue control. There's yeah. some logic to this. It's like when you're trying to learn guitar, mm-hmm. it, like... Practice is fucking boring. Like the way you get your hand strength up is you just yeah. sit there strumming one note while you're watching TV for the next like <laughs> hour. And that's practice. And a lot of people don't realize that. And this is similar. It's just for rapping techniques. It's some real uh, wax on, wax off kind yeah. of shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with the Black Eyed Peas now fully formed, they spent the next few years undergoing the same sort of long, relentless hustle that we've seen from countless artists on this show. And in some ways, it feels like Black Eyed Peas were doing this the hard way. They played with a full band behind them, something that was unusual for hip-hop and no doubt pretty expensive. Yeah, man, that's two or three more band members you gotta keep happy, too. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of overhead and yep. probably a, an extra van. That they, that's a, you, you got to haul around a drum kit and you know a guitar and bass and amps. Like like they a lot, actually a lot of uh, hip hop clubs that they tried to play at, they couldn't really accommodate them because they had this like big setup that sure. their clubs weren't used to. And then beyond that, uh, they you know we we're, we're used to like thinking of black eyed peas as wearing these like space age outfits and shit at this time, uh, as you, you and I saw listening, watching some of those videos, like they're wearing basically thrift store clothes. Yeah. They're just in street clothes. Yeah. Like they're not trying to look hip at all. Like if anything, maybe the opposite. And then of course there's the lyrics, which are uh, very highbrow, socially conscious and went against the grain of the gangster rap that dominated the airwaves at the time. As we all know, you know, high concept, socially, uh, socially conscious lyrics sell crazy well. Of course, it's gonna, if you can't tell, I'm being sarcastic. It's gonna break any day now. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> someday we'll all start valuing uh, really intelligent in- lyrics. Integrity, again. integrity is gonna be the 2023 <laughs> fucking jam. You know, and feel it. And yet, all of that doesn't mean that the Black Eyed Peas weren't savvy. Though their grind was long and hard, it was driven by a novel strategy that would end up working exactly as intended. So this is something I find really interesting. In uh, Taboo's book, he talks about how Black Eyed Peas declared their intention to, quote, take over California. And so basically, like, they're they're based out of L.A. still, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so is the made the entertainment industry of America is based out of LA. Yep. So they formed this kind of money ball kind of hack strategy to kind of maximize the value of their geographic location. They want to build a grassroots buzz and they want to do that by playing all the major college campuses in California. So UCLA, Stanford, uh, you know, university of California, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there are two main reasons they do this. One is record companies typically pay attention to what college kids are into. And two is a lot of the students at this these shows would end up working at record companies as interns. And the idea is that, like, you know, with this black-eyed peas contagion inside of them, they'll spread it stealthily into the halls of these major labels. It's kind of brilliant. It really is. 
And, I mean, and I want to say it was easy. Like this, what I'm talking about took a span of like three or four years, but it did work. Uh, you know, they did end up uh, building enough of a buzz that they got several major labels into a bidding war and they ultimately settled on Interscope, who signed them for a three-album deal. Now, how old were they at this point? At this point, they are like in their like early to mid twenties, basically. I mean, yeah, to, I guess where I'm going is I just really respect that they're already thinking this way, and I think yeah. it, it it definitely adds evidence to what we were saying earlier about Will I Am. Mm-hmm. It's this dude is a businessman, straight up. Yeah. Um, he also happens to be a very good rapper and artist. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not. <laughs> no, he is. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I just, I, to the extent that black eyed peas are bad, I don't think they are bad for want of talent. On no. The part of Will I am or anyone else really. I like, he does know his stuff. He's a great producer. They're quote unquote bad for different reasons yes. than, than that. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Cal. Like he is a super, savvy businessman and he and the guy that kind of learned a lot of what he knows on the fly and is able to synthesize the results of his experiences in ways that improve his situation in the future and it's adaptable thinking you know he's he hits this point of like doing doing these shows and these clubs is not working we got to do something else and he was willing to switch it up yeah whereas a lot of people including people like me you're just going to keep running at the same wall expecting different results. So, you know, I, I respect this. I think it's cool. Oh, yeah. He learns from his mistakes. He adapts and he does that several times throughout his career. And so in 1998, Black Eyed Peas released their debut album, Behind the Front. The record was met with glowing reviews by critics, and it's easy to see why. It's an intelligent, well-crafted, and in my view, just plain fun effort by three rappers who know what the hell they're doing. So what do you think of this album, Cal? I liked this so much more than I was expecting to. <laughs> so I had, I had always heard the stories that the oh, those first Black Eyed Peas albums were pretty good. I always kind of thought that was like retroactive apologizing or like, you know, finding a way to justify that you like the Black Eyed Peas or... No, no their early shit is cool, yeah, trust me. Yeah. Or it's like the, you know, you, you've got a friend who's embarrassing now, but you're like, oh, they were cool when we were kids. Like, I just thought it was one of those things. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not going to put this album in my top 20 rap albums of all time, mm-hmm. but it is a solid effort. Uh, I enjoyed it. As far as albums go that we listen to for this show, yeah. it's in the top third for sure. I think it's I think it's a pretty dope record that I it did not feel like a chore to listen to. If you are into the stuff like uh, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, like this is going to be like 80 percent of that. Yeah, I think, you know. Yeah, there's a you know, I didn't I wasn't crazy about some of the skits. I don't really like skits and rap in general. Yeah. You know, there's a couple silly lines, but yeah, overall, I, I give this like a solid seven. Yeah, maybe an eight. It, it's not a bad album at all. No. All right, so let's take a look at the album's opening single, Fallen Up. Focus on this, the air seductionist. More than lyricists in this rap metropolis. More like an activist. We give it to you all. Presentation will make you have a war. Sounds are conceiving, causing you to meditate. Manipulate the mind with hypnotic legislate. Be far from the fakes. We never fake moves. But jealous motherfucker seems to just disapprove. And talk. And who the hell he be having a fit? Yo, he ain't got shit. That's why he said trips. I identified what he rips. It consists 
of nonsense, nothing less than bullshit. The fool can hang with the all around remainders. A real entertainer, revival of the true art form of hip hop. Explore non stop, entertain you till you drop. We be falling up, never falling down. Keep it at a Yeah, man. If you don't like that song, there's something wrong with your ears. No, it's 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 dope. And I think like you can tell, like they're really trying to position themselves as being higher brow than yeah. most rappers that were around in 1998. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, you know, multi-syllable words, mm-hmm. which is something they get away from in their career. <laughs> there's um <laughs> Yeah, it's it it's just got a really good flow and then the there's more going on musically than what we're going to see from them in the future. Oh yeah, like, there's a lot of layers to that song and Will I Am's really showing like he can put together a beat. 100%. And one of the most salient features of this album is that the lyrics are heavily focused on positivity as well as personal and musical integrity. They're obviously reacting against the violent, shallow, and materialistic culture that had taken over hip hop by that point. Now, in that very song you just heard, Will I Am asserts, We don't use dollars to represent, just our inner sense and talent. On the song Movement, Apple Yap opines, quote, We grip the pleasures from small things, not from Alex or Diamond Rings. And on the album's closing track, Positivity, all three rappers combine to end the album with an almost spiritual manifesto. Actually, Cal, I want you to do this one <laughs> just because I know it's your favorite thing that we do on this show. Listen, I almost, um, I almost self-imposed some today. Yeah. I didn't have time to do it, but I was going to dig up some of the lines I didn't like and read them for you. But uh, okay, maybe, maybe no, yeah, yeah, it's maybe the next episode. Um, all right, all right. We much more than you think we are. We are the product of our own environment. Repent. With equality plus duality and taking all kind of possibility, I sing the song from the soul, let it rise from the tone, let it rhythmically grow into its own life, let it become you, then you become it, once you become it, everything will be infinite. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, it almost sounds like some, like, Maynard James Keenan shit. Yeah. But everything becoming infinite. But no, like, that's, that's so much... It's uh, so different. So far from I gotta feel it. Right. <laughs> right. Like if that's all you knew about Black Eyed Peas, this album's gonna blow your mind. Well, and it's in and we talked, it's not like Will I Am got dumber between this album and that album. It was <laughs> no. it's a conscious choice. Yes. Uh this is a problem that I think plagues rap harder than other genres. Mm-hmm. Um that when you start and you're you're hustling and grinding, it's really easy to write soulful, conscious lyrics. Once you're rich and you don't directly feel these feelings anymore, mm-hmm. you know, the, the success almost hurts your rap. Yeah. Because now you're stuck to either just faking it or you have to just start rapping about vapid shit. You got to pick one. But you're not angry and hungry anymore. You're not starving. You're not getting shot at in the streets. <laughs> like it, all that goes away and, and your uh, influences change. And just think about the level of self-confidence it takes to... To step onto a stage and battle rap with uh, with some other guy who 
also devotes his life to this shit, knowing that the consequences of not looking cool or not coming up <laughs> with very clever rhymes off the top of your head are getting booed by 200 I people. I never thought about that. Like, you, you yeah, gotta, you gotta have fucking balls of steel, man. Yeah, you can't, like, uh, once you're famous, you can't ever let that skill slip. No. Because everyone's gonna be talking about, oh, he, uh, some nobody beat Eminem in a rap battle. <laughs> like, yeah, no. Like, so that's why I kind of, like, I do believe that Will probably did, you know, win 18 months straight of a, of a contest or whatever, because, like, he has that mentality that, like, I am 100% all in on this stuff. Right. If I'm not the best at this, what am I even doing in yeah. the business? Like all fire and hunger, as Taboo said. Yep. And I think um, in that song, you you can hear him kind of channeling that into writing these lyrics that are like, he's saying, I'm better than all of you other rappers. And most rap is guys saying yeah. i'm better oh, than yeah. you but like a lot of times it'd be like i drive her a bigger bentley like or i have a I, right dumb I, shit i got more money than you like uh, i've killed more people than you like he's <laughs> trying to he's trying to do it with lyrical gymnastics you know <laughs> they want to kill me because my hops nuts in your face i mean like will can't do a two-handed hanger dunk so like <laughs> he knows he can't he's not even gonna try to battle viper because he's no it's like that's off the table <laughs> but yeah like they are super all about positivity on that album to the point where it's like almost annoying and right a little bit pre right yeah times. it's like your friend who's just way too into his new life coach and he's getting like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> dude shut up things still suck just <laughs> get away from me <laughs> Now, as we've already mentioned, the Black Eyed Peas' debut was generally lauded by critics, but there was just one problem. The album wasn't selling. Behind the Front peaked at number 129 on the Billboard charts and failed to even go gold. I think that's worse than uh, some of Billy Ray's later albums. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's tough, and um, they were really disappointed by this. I mean, as much as like that kind of maybe in retrospect, felt like it wasn't going to be a commercial success. They thought it was going to be. And yeah. uh, especially Will. Like, Will was very confused and frustrated and couldn't understand why it wasn't uh, selling the way that he thought it was going to sell. I totally get it. It's a little confusing to me, uh, despite everything we've said so far. Yeah. That, for how that whole album sounds, to me, yeah, that is underperformance. Mm -hmm. um, even if it bucks the gangster rap trend. Yeah, I would have thought it would have done a little better than that. So I, I get where they're coming from big time. So absolutely. You got to really like understand the mindset they were at at this point. They'd worked so hard to get here. They like you'd think they won. They got a record deal. They, yep. they put out their own record. But now there's an even bigger mountain to climb. And that's the mountain of actually getting that record in the hands of people who want to buy it. And just I remember what kind of guy will i am is yeah this is a major blow to your ego if you're him yeah so i'm going to read you another uh, quote from taboo's book he writes quote will never walked on the playing field to be a participant he walked with a desire to be the greatest number one unrivaled that was the pressure he exerted on himself always like, again he's it's just that like michael jordan mindset you know, like I am number one. I am going to do whatever it takes to prove that to everyone in the world. I just read a, a business book called Good to Great. That was one of their big principles of the the great companies. Mm -hmm. It's they 
their attitude from day one was, yeah, if we're not, if we can't be the best, then why are we even in this industry? Why are we making the company? And it seems like that's how Will is approaching the rap game. Mm-hmm. I don't think that everyone who has that mentality will achieve it. <laughs> well, the, the yeah, you mathematically can't. can't. But everyone who does succeed, or at least most of the people, have that yes. in them somehow. Billy Ray absolutely did. Fred Durst in his own weird, dumb hick way kind of did. Mm-hmm. And so with this ride-or-die mindset, the band just continued to grind, doing whatever it took to get more exposure. And this included a rather interesting appearance on the 1999 Warp Tour. You did not have what that in fuck? your Black Eyed Peas bingo, no, did you? No, man. We, we, we've talked about misbooked gigs before, and this, this one's up there. <laughs> yeah, so... I think the idea is that by this point, the warp tour had like kind of expanded to the point where they want a stage that's like different from the normal punk stages. And so they, they, I don't know what it was called, but it was a stage where they were featuring a lot of hip hop artists or like stuff that wasn't strictly what you associate with warp tour, not just, you know, no effects and Pennywise and whatever the fuck else. At least they had them on a different stage too. That yeah, helps a little. Yeah, Cause I've been to like Ozfests where there's a band where you're going like, what? Yeah. They, they should not be here on this stage with these other bands. It doesn't fit. That'd be so funny if they were straight up opening for Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so some people were into it. Some people thought it was cool, but you know, apparently a lot of people did not because surprise, surprise, the anti-establishment, you know, pro-creativity, you know, rebellious punks sometimes can be a little bit closed-minded when yeah. it comes to music. Oh, man. You saw that coming. <laughs> As a metalhead, I don't know anything about that. No, no. Metalheads love nothing <laughs> more like than all music. musical diversity and <laughs> expanding their own horizons. <laughs> so, and apparently, it just, you know, really just unfortunate they experienced a, a pretty good degree of racism on this tour too. But In this country? No way. Yeah. So there's a certain subset of the punk community that, you know, includes some racist skinheads yep. and people like that. And they would shout like, go back to Africa and oh, shit like that. And that's just, that's gotta be an awful thing to have to endure yep. when you're traveling from yep. town to town. Now, as silly as it is, the Warp Tour also marked an interesting milestone for Black Eyed Peas in that they landed their first sponsor, the Silver Tab clothing line owned by Levi's. All right, so small silver lining, I guess. It's not a complete disaster. Yeah, no, they have their first commercial sponsorship. This deal roughly coincided with another major event in the band's creeping march towards commodification. Their song Joints and Jams ended up in the soundtrack to the movie Bullworth. That movie was not a big success, but the band was pleasantly surprised by the opportunity to get some extra income. According to Taboo's autobiography, this moment, quote, flicked a switch within the band, causing them to pay more attention to the value of licensing songs and toward commercialization more generally. It's like a starving man's first little bite of food in a long time i i I get it man it's this is where uh i think the deal with the devil starts yeah it it creeps in yep you know money sure is nice and i'm not i like my artistic integrity but eating's cool 
And I'm not going to like, I'm not like taking the position that like, if you provide a song to the Bullworth soundtrack, you're a hit sellout and a yeah, piece of yeah. shit. Like, no, obviously I'm no, happy No, yeah, we're like, saying this is the start of the slippery yeah. slope. Like I would have done the exact same thing as yep. them in that position, but this is where, this is where it begins. This is, uh, this is like, you know, a little tiny snowball is going to turn into an avalanche yeah. within Next a Next time years. you're, you know, Will, I am sitting on the tour bus writing a song. He's thinking... Remember that time I sold a song to Bullworth? (laughs) And the Black Eyed Peas' second album, Bridging the Gap, was released in September of 2000. Like their first album, it features a lot of clever, highbrow lyrics and solid production. Although, in my opinion, it's a little bit tweaked towards the sort of bouncy party rap that the group would later become well-known for. And I think you can see that in the album's second single, Weekends. So this this album for me was a slight slight step down. It's yeah. still good. I yeah. still like it a lot. But you can tell it's it's stripped back just a little bit in the production. Like that weekend song had a few less layers than the the previous one we listened to falling up. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you already said, I think it's just a little more oriented towards a, a party vibe and a pop vibe. Yeah, I mean, just even just the subject matter of the song, like you know, most people work five yes. days a week. Most people really like weekends. Yes, like that's a it's a very anodyne concept. I mean, I agree with you guys. I I like this album a lot too. Um, it's it's a very fine listen. There's some pretty good songs on there. Actually, one of the interesting things about it is you can kind of tell that they've uh, gotten a little bit of star power by this point um, because uh, not a lot, but they're in the game enough that they can make these connections and they kind of managed to get some relatively big names on this album. Like there's a track they did with De La Soul. They're their heroes. That must've been a trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do one with Mike Wycliffe, Sean uh, one with Macy Gray, who was like really huge around this time. And like, it kind of shows that they've made, some progress as a band, even if they're not like yeah, selling out big stadiums time. yet. And I think it at least shows the the artist community around them has faith in them. They're willing mm-hmm. to be on these tracks. Yeah, they they must think something's gonna become of it. Yeah, so like there there are a lot of people at this point who are in the know who know that Black Eyed Peas are like a seriously yeah, they're pretty talented good. group. They're kind of they're almost like a best kept secret at this point. But alas, this album too was a commercial flop. Uh, it sold only 250,000 copies, which was even worse 
than their debut yeah. album. And this one's even more mind-bending to me than the first one. Yeah. I, I agree with, if I were Will I Am, I would be hurt and confused. Yeah, because like, what did they do wrong? Like, Nothing. what was so bad about that track? Not that a damn it thing. Couldn't, like, this is the '90s. Everybody's going platinum, right? And you with know? and with Interscope's backing and those names on three tracks, I just don't get it. I don't get how it didn't sell more. Yeah. Now, one of the factors that you know depressed album sales uh, with respect to this album specifically was uh, the fact that it got leaked a couple of weeks early, thanks to. Napster. Remember Napster, Cal? Oh, yeah. Remember that whole episode in musical history? Um, And hearing that kind of sucks because I've always been a Napster defender. Yeah. Um, I do think guys like Metallica suing them is Mm -hmm. that one is a very already successful rich artist bitching. And I don't empathize that much. But when you see it actively ruining up and coming artists, you you can feel the impact of it a little more. I I almost feel like we should someday do an episode or a mini-sode about Napster and that whole controversy and revisiting all of that. Because I think most people felt that way about Metallica at the time. Like, did you guys sell out stadiums? Why are you complaining? But in the record industry, bands like Metallica foot the bill for all of the artists like the Black Eyed Peas that are more high risk and Mm -hmm. who are losing money for the label. And if you can't have the major workhorses like make a, enough money, it's not going to cover the overhead and, and not going to allow the label to take risks on smaller bands that might not do as well. And I think that became more obvious over time as today, the economics of the music industry are just totally fucked. Right. And everything is about touring. If, you, if you're the kind of band that like can only record and can't tour good fucking luck right, to you right it's, like you're at not that point it's it. a passion project don't count on it as your career yeah i don't know it's a it's a very it's, no, I I agree. Mean, I, it's I, too nuanced to get into it's you know it's already long yeah. gonna be a long episode yeah so it's yeah, definitely something we should revisit then in this case um, with respect to this specific album according to the book uh the album got something like four million downloads on napster versus as we just said only a quarter million in-store sales. Yeah, that that's bogus. Yeah. And you you know you could argue that like it doesn't mean 4 million would have bought the album if right. it wasn't free, but they definitely would have done better. Yeah, totally. Now by this point, Will.i.am had spent over a decade busting his ass to make it in the rap game. His band had earned a record deal on the strength of their outstanding creativity and work ethic. Yet in terms of commercial sales, Black Eyed Peas were 0 for 2. But Will.i.am was not about to go down swinging. With one album left in their three-album deal, Will was determined to hit it out of the park, no matter what it took. And what exactly did it take, you ask? Well, we're going to find out in Black Eyed Peas Part 2. Woo! All right, so next episode... This is when we're going to get to the songs that you've actually heard of. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the stuff they were doing in the early and mid 2000s. Um, I, uh, how much they changed as a band. We're going to get into a certain female member of the Black Eyed Peas that we <laughs> haven't really mentioned a whole lot so far. So you're definitely going to want to stick around to hear that part of the story. I, I thoroughly I enjoyed this one for me selfishly. Yeah. 
because I got to listen to good music for once. Yeah, on no, this, show. Is, this is one of those rare episodes where we got to say, hey, Black Eyed Peas are better than we thought. Yeah, and I think we, we've said it a lot where, oh, the first album's the best one. I don't think that's any more true on any band we've said it for than this band. Yes. I This early part of their career is is really underrated in the world of music. hundred percent. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to give our podcast a five-star rating on whichever app you're choosing. Um, yeah, maybe you can't uh, log on to Spotify's this app and and give us a rating maybe you have to draw five little stars on a post-it note and mail it to spotify headquarters <laughs> and just tell them to to rate us that way on your, your behalf that's okay do that i'm sure it'll work out just the same whatever it takes channel your inner will i am. yes we are like will we are gonna hustle we're gonna grind whatever it takes to get this podcast on the warp tour <laughs> what is that just us sitting on stage <laughs> we were talking like just like you get like a this this big uh fallout voice set and then it's we come, then we go up with a little table and our mics and and we just start we just talking were, about the music that just got played we record an episode and they're sitting there going i didn't realize how much shit they edit out <laughs> they kind of suck <laughs> And then, of course, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And speaking of which, it's time to finally tell the story of uh, why the fuck we were off Facebook for a month. Um, so this is this is pretty fucked. Um, but basically what happened is I made a mistake. Uh, I fell for a phishing email one day that was related to Facebook. They... Like I got an email that was allegedly from Facebook that said that uh, your, your content has been had a copyright violation or, or whatever the, the mm-hmm. fuck it said. I clicked on the, the link. I logged in with my usual credentials and um, and they gotcha. And then uh, and then they got me. But the way that they got me was uh, was pretty sinister. So what they did was and this all happened in like a, a matter of like a minute was. They started posting some content uh, under my name, and that content was immediately flagged by Facebook's algorithm. And uh, so, I, so I I log in and I, I immediately notice that like uh, it says my account has been suspended because uh, it the of uh, the post that violated Facebook's community standards. And I clicked on the supposed offending posts. And they claimed that the specific violation had to do with the sexual exploitation of minors. So the shit that got posted under my name was some really awful shit that should not exist in the world. And really awful to think that somebody theoretically might have seen that. Well, yeah, if you were my, on for that name. one minute, uh, yeah. I guess we deeply apologize. If it yeah. wasn't us. So my account got suspended. And then... As collateral damage, the Polishing Turds page got suspended. And because it's connected to our Instagram account, our Instagram account also got suspended. So I am freaking the fuck out at this point. The Instagram and Facebook pages are really important to me in terms of uh, being able to reach out to you guys. Um, I've met so many awesome people by virtue of people reaching out to us on those platforms. 
I couldn't reach out to them. I couldn't explain what had happened. Like we just just went to radio silence. And for all I knew, that was how it's going to be forever. And I'd have to just start our social media presence up from scratch. And that was just a really horrifying and gut-wrenching thing to contemplate. I don't know if any anyone listening has had any experience with this, but you know, Facebook is garbage at they'll they'll flag this stuff fast, which is great. Yeah. But then they will ban your account, no questions asked, and there's no way to get it back. That is that is what I discovered the hard way, is that you can you can technically appeal the ruling that right, uh, but, that, that they, but they, you're appealing that that content is not wrong. Yeah, that's essentially know, that's, that's essentially what you yeah. have to say is like, no, this uh, this this hor- is art. This horrible, horrible thing that I posted is not against your community. <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> you know. It's just a prank. It's it's an awful catch twenty two. And if you try to email Facebook or call them or or do any type of thing, you discover very quickly there is literally no way to reach out to a live human being at the, the meta organization. There just is not. I, I Believe me, I tried everything. Every email I could find, every mechanism from their help center, just all of it. There's no phone. There's no phone number you can call to talk to a person at Facebook. It's absolutely incredible i i just i can't describe enough how frustrating that was should we just roll with it sorry kel's baby is crying in the background (laughs) uh, but he's feeling my pain yes (laughs) Uh, okay so how did i finally resolve the situation well uh cal pointed me to a, a link which led to a reddit group called uh r slash facebook disabled me and i learned that there are thousands of people across the world who deal with the exact same shit I went through the same like virus or hacker scheme, whatever it is. And basically the only thing you can do is to file a written complaint to your state's uh, attorney general's office. Uh, Basically the general complaint that you would file against a business that has aggrieved you in some way, shape or form. And I think the reason why this works is because Facebook legally has to reply to a state level complaint like sure. this. You got to bring in the big guns. Yeah. So I filed complaints through the attorney general's office, both in our home state of Wisconsin and in the state of California where Meta is based. And it took about a month, but I finally got an email from Facebook that just said, um, Here's your account back. We we're sorry for the inconvenience. Yeah, here's your fucking account, bitch. It was like literally like a two paragraph email. Right. Like, I can't believe you went that far. If you care that much, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's how we got how we got our account back. And we it's totally fucked that this fucking three hundred billion dollar company can't afford a customer service department and you know people like me thousands of people like me have to utilize the resources of the state effectively use taxpayer money to get our accounts back right it's ridiculous so anyway that's that's what happened um stay safe online you know this can happen to anybody you know make sure your passwords are strong make sure you've got 2fa on fucking everything i know i do now never fucking click a link in your email yeah for real i I get you know i get drilled on this almost weekly 
Yeah. No. I, I've just learned through time, you don't click anything. No. And like, I made a dumb mistake. That was my bad. But like, it's just a fucking scary world out there. So stay safe. Thank you. We love you guys. We're really happy to be back online. Uh, please uh, go back, go and follow us. And we will see you next time with BP part two. Yeah. Always do the next everything. <laughs>